Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott and Tommy Corbins. I'm like Pete Southtown, Zan Zan. I'm always speaking my mind, but I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. Still, I'm a legend of my own mind. I'm good for the song, but I'm not for Welcome to the first ever episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. Um, we are very, I am very excited um, to have on one of the biggest beauties I know, uh, Luke Piggott, who is um, an eight-year professional hockey player, three years of professional coaching as an assistant coach, as well as curing a kind of breast cancer. I think that's a pretty interesting story. Um, I don't know many people that have played hockey and cured cancer. Um, so anyways, Luke, um, I guess, welcome. Welcome to the first ever episode. Wow, it's a bit of a, quite the uh, honor to be the first uh, first person interviewed on the uh, Wally podcast. I'm pretty <laughs> excited by that. Well, um, I, I my emotions i tussled with them trying to figure out who should be first um but realistically i think you have the most interesting story of any hockey player i've ever met um i know how smart you are because i've been around you but uh i think all the listeners will get a real kick out of this because uh, uh yeah you're a very interesting human <laughs> Um, so, okay. Well, Wally, you know, I think you're the most interesting human that I know, so it's not a really, uh, fair comparison. Okay, so this is what we'll do then. Uh, we're basically going to get into, we'll start from the start. Where were you born and when did you start playing hockey? So, I was born obviously in Calgary, uh, Canada, as you know. So, Canadian by birth, um, although my entire family's uh, British. Um, natively but uh, my dad was posted over there for work so i was born in canada and that's essentially how i got into hockey was uh he was a big fan of the calgary flames the him and my mum got into watching hockey when they lived in calgary and uh then they thought it'd be a good sport for my brother to learn how to play so my brother being 18 months older than me uh he got onto the ice when he was about sort of four years old four and a half and then as kids do at that age, I wanted to do everything that my brother was doing. So I saw him out on the ice and I kicked up a stink essentially until my parents would let me go out and learn how to skate. And um, the the funny thing was, I guess my brother was in like the mini mites or whatever it was called back then. And uh, they had an age group for him, but I was too young to uh, be put on the ice with them. So what the coach did was he essentially gave me a chair and he said, all right, you, you just push this around the ice for the whole time that the rest of the kids are practicing. And that's that's how I learned how to play. Or at least how I learned how to skate. Um, and then it just grew from there. So uh, what age did you live in Calgary till? 
So we left Calgary on my second birthday, actually. And then we, we moved down to Houston, obviously not exactly a, a hockey hub of the world, but we continued playing. We found a rink nearby that we kept playing um, all the way up through the junior ranks to the age of nine before we moved back to the UK and then found a new club when we moved back to the UK too and kept playing from there as well. So a couple of uh, non-hockey areas really um but maintained the interest and uh, played the entire time so basically you fell in love with the game at the age of two and then you weren't around the game or a hotbed of the game um until well like ever so you just kept the passion and the love of the game and found a way to keep playing wherever you were Exactly. Yeah. I, at no point really did I ever play in, a, in an area that was a, a hockey hotbed, shall we say, until, of course, you know, I headed over to Cardiff and uh, you came over and then it became a hockey hotbed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So um, I guess uh, I should give the backstory is Luke and I played together in Cardiff uh, the year I did my MBA while playing and uh let me so now uh luke why don't you tell um the listeners what you're doing now <laughs> uh, so now i live in switzerland and i work for um a pharmaceutical company called debio farm and we develop drugs uh, for new drugs for patients and we essentially take them from the early stages um, put them through clinical trials and then uh, license them out to Big Pharma, who then uh, do all the marketing and uh, put them, uh, get the market authorization done so that uh, it becomes a new staple treatment for patients in, in different types of cancer. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, it's a bit over my head, but what, so what kind of cancers would your team be working on? Like, do you have a team then? Yeah, so I work within a team um, and we focus on all different kinds of cancer. I mean, our biggest drug that we've got right now is um, is a drug for head and neck cancer, uh, which is our most advanced asset, which is in uh, just shown really great results in our phase two clinical trial. And then, um, but you know, the company itself has developed drugs in all kinds of um, cancer indications and more the big blockbuster drug that it's famous for is oxaloplatin, which is a platinum agent, which is used to cross all different types of uh, cancer as a chemotherapy agent. So we really do work across every different type of cancer um, with our drugs to find out which ones they work best for. Wow, that, uh, yeah, for, Everyone listening, if anyone listens, I don't actually care if anyone listens because this is really fun to just call my buddies and uh, shoot the breeze and have a beer. Um, but <clears throat> like to put into perspective, when I played with pigs, we would show up to practice, we'd work out, we'd, we'd practice, we'd do all the stick handling or cold tubbing, whatever our coach made us do. Um, all the other stuff. And then pigs would go and cure cancer after that. So I would be done work for the day and he would be then going to work. Um, so yeah, that kind of puts into perspective um, who you are and what you're about. I, I was in awe watching what you did that year. Yeah, well, you were a pretty big fan of it because it, uh, it helped you out with a bit of your MBA writing, if I remember correctly. 
Um, yeah, I think that's what the Cardiff Devils might miss the most about you is um, <clears throat> that uh, you were probably the best proofreader um, I've ever met because uh, when you would read my sentences and the way I had put the words together, <laughs> just the way you explained it to me and the way you you put it together and explained to me I ju it, it just you made it so simple and I was like well geez why why can't I write like that all the time and I actually have kept that with me like in my my business life is some of the things you taught me like there was a time we were driving to the Swindon arena because Cardiff didn't have any ice during preseason and we were driving to Swindon and I was finishing up my final uh, capstone paper and you, me and you were in the backseat of the car driving an hour and a half to practice and you proofread my paper and my goodness, the way you put the words together, like I, it, it just, I had never seen words look so sexy. <laughs> You learn a few different words uh, during those trips, if I remember. We, we, we introduced you to some some of the Queen's good English, you know? That's right. Uh, what, oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of that one word. But, yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, um, I like, that's the type of teammate you were, though. And that's uh, how you stayed in professional hockey so long, is when a guy like me would come over from Canada, you were the first guy to help us get things set up get the apartment set up what do you need what can i take care of you were great friends with my kids um yeah um talk about what a great first episode yeah you're a yeah top notch <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate i appreciate that and uh actually um so i guess we should get back into the hockey part of things eh so um how Oh, how do you become a professional hockey player and a doctor at the same time? Because I personally had a hard enough time just being a professional hockey player. How did you do both? So the, um, well, the way it worked, obviously I played in my junior years, um, obviously in a rink nearby my parents, where my parents' house was. And then when I went to go to university, I basically just picked uh, schools where there was a an ice rink. So obviously it's a little bit different in the UK compared to Canada or the US. Every town or every city that you go to over there, there's, there's at least a handful of hockey rinks nearby that you can choose from, right? But in the major cities in the UK where there's universities, like the it's quite limited the number of universities in the same city as as a hockey rink so i was quite specific in the choices that i'd made i only try i only applied for schools which had a hockey team nearby and when i got to university i continued to play hockey i mean we still played juniors in the uk up to the age of 19 so i was playing two more years of junior um and then after that, there was the semi-professional team uh, where essentially you don't pay to play, but you don't get paid to play. Um, and I played for that team then whilst I was at university as well. And, um, and then progressed through that team up to the Cardiff Devils. Franny and G gave me my first shot at the professional game. Um, the team had been hit pretty hard by injuries that season and I had had a bit of a, a couple of standout seasons in the, the league below. So 
um, they brought me on board and I got on great with them and I got on great with my teammates and um, luckily ever since they, they decided to keep me around and you know it was just one of those things that happened very fluidly and naturally in the sense that I was already studying and in university and undergrad when I first started it wasn't so much of a big deal because we would practice in the evenings for the semi-professional team and we'd only play maximum two games a weekend. Then when the professional opportunity came along, I was already doing my doctorate and, um, you know, I, I spoke to my supervisor at the time and they said, hey, I got this opportunity to play professional hockey at the same time. The downside for you is it means that I won't be able to, to be here all the time. And, um, you know, luckily I had a great guy who was uh, my boss at the time or my supervisor who said, look, I really don't care when you get your work, your training done. So long as you get it done and you achieve, you know, good marks, and um, it it just developed from there. And essentially, like you say, I would do practice in the morning, go straight from the rink to school, and um, do my do my work. And um, as long as I was getting it done and he was seeing impressive results, he really didn't care what time of the night it was that I was doing it or anything like that. So. You know, we had a lot of long bus journeys back then, so that helped with writing papers and doing all of the studying too. So uh, it, it was, it was, you know, a busy time. Um, I don't think there was much time for anything else in my life other than hockey and, and school. But, um, you know, it, it was one of those things that it worked out pretty well together in the end. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I actually learned a lot that year. Um... I'm going to try not to get emotional, but um, I was a lazy guy before that year. Um, and then doing the NBA, being a hockey player, having the kids. Um, yeah, it taught a lot. Holy cow, what's wrong with me? Anyways, it taught me a lot about myself. <laughs> Too many beards already. <laughs> Seriously. It taught me a lot about myself watching you do your day-to-day. I realized what a person can accomplish in a day. Like there is a lot of hours and 24 hours. Like you can get a lot of shit done in a day. Um, and I've lived that way since that year. Um, so anyways, thanks for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like now I, uh, like I have so much going on and it doesn't seem like too much because like I've seen what you can do in a day. So yeah. <laughs> Um, anyways, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things you learn very you learn very quickly how to be uh, an efficient uh, efficient with your time. You know, like uh, there is a lot of hours, but at the same time, there's a lot of people spend a lot of dead hours doing things and spending time on things that really don't progress you any. So, yeah, and that's that's where I'm at. Like I'm <laughs> I'm running an engineering department. I got a couple rental properties and. Uh, I also am back in school taking a construction management course, like, and then I still got the kids and, you know, all the other stuff. And like, I wouldn't be doing all that stuff if I wouldn't have seen what you do in a day, you know? So there's that. Put, put, that, put that feather in your cap, okay? I'll add it to the cap. I'll take that one. <laughs> okay. So... Here's a good story I think we should bring up now. I think it's time. Why don't we talk about um, that year that I came to Cardiff and that team of 
guys we put together um, and ended up winning a Challenge Cup. Because I tell you, it's my favorite year of hockey I ever played. Um, and when I think about starting this podcast, realistically, there's six or seven guys on that team at least minimum that are some of the most interesting people i've ever met because we just had a whole team of absolute beauties <laughs> yeah i mean that that year was a special year for sure i mean, i I'd, I played, um, I think, four years or three years prior to that with um, under a different ownership group um, who, who treated the, the team in a very different way to the, the Calgary Four and Todd and Lordo um, who took over from them. And, you know, we were very much tight shoestring budget. Um, you know, you get, you get a new stick if it was completely split in half. If it was cracked down the middle, you know, you tape it back together and use it until it really breaks. And... Um, you know, living in five guys in a three-bedroom uh, apartment, you know, th things like that. And it was it was a lot more of a sort of what you would consider for a UK-type league. And, you know, to come from that, and I was already pumped the fact that I'd made it to the professional level for a number of years, and I was kind of satisfied. But then you, you start to get new aspirations in the sense of, oh, I actually want to win something now. And it never seemed like that was ever going to happen under the old regime. And that was nothing to do with the quality of the players or the, or the, the coach that was there. It was, you know, we, there was a lot of extra distractions and budgetary restrictions that, that just didn't allow you to be the best team in the league. And they did the best with what they were given at the time. And, and then in came the, you know, the Calgary Horsemen and uh, the Four Horsemen. And they, they just uh, completely revamped the whole thing. Todd and Lordo put together the, the biggest, best group of beauties you've ever seen in your life in the space of about six weeks, if I remember correctly. And, um, and uh, the, it was honestly the, the, the best year. We, we won a Challenge Cup that very first year. And um, every guy on that team was like so much fun to be around. We had fun every weekend together as a group and bonded in, in ways that I never had with all of my other teammates in the past. And, you know, that year will always be a special year for me because it was that transition from being just a professional ice hockey player to being a champion, you know, and uh, that continued from that day forward. And it was made extra special by the fact that I got to be a champion for the first time with essentially 15 of my best friends for the year and who I was more than happy to spend, you know, all those hours each day with. And like you say, so many different characters and different kind of people that it just made it so interesting on a daily basis to come to the rink that it was never boring. And I think that's the biggest thing is everyone wanted to be at the rink around each other because we had the best time. And that atmosphere, as much as you try to recreate it in years gone by and as many championships as we may have won since, has never been recreated to the same level. Like there's never been a time when guys have enjoyed going to the rink more than that year. I could not agree more. Um, that was back when it was in the big blue tent, the BBT, where we were essentially playing in a circus tent. Um, it was supposed to be a temporary arena while the new one was built because the one downtown became a shopping mall, right? So then they build that to become... Um, the temporary arena for two to three years. Well, then it ends up being there for about 10 years, right? 
And that was about the 10th year when I showed up. And I'll never forget the day I showed up and saw that arena. I had just been in Denmark. We're playing a little mini NHL arena. And, um, you, you know, you feel like a pro when you're playing in a nice arena, nice facilities. And then you show up at Cardiff and you're in the big blue tent. And not one guy on that, that team was a prima donna. Not one guy complained about the amenities, the facilities. We were having showers with a, like a foot deep of water because the drains weren't, weren't draining and everybody's in there and having a shower. And like, it was, it was just fun. It was fun to be at the rink. Nobody complained about anything. Everybody was just enjoying life and that is exactly what i'm about <laughs> so that that year was incredible. yeah yeah the big blue tent was a special place i remember you know that year we had um you know i played in that arena for a number of years at that point before you arrived obviously and you know you'd have the ground uh cave out in the dressing room so they'd have to tape off the, the dressing room for a bit whilst they put fix the hole in the ground there was mushrooms coming out of the bottom of the showers where they put those plastic things over the top to try and keep it waterproof. And then, like say, so you had a foot of you had a foot of water, and we were taking our cold. If you remember, our ice baths were two recycling bins that we filled with water from a uh, hose outside, and then dumped a load of ice in. And the equipment room was uh, was a shipping container out the back. Lauder's office was a shipping container out the back. The GM's um, office and, was too. Uh, you know, yeah. I, the GM's office was too, and I was just happy that all of a sudden we were getting free coffee and uh, bagels on a daily basis. I was like, oh my God, look at this luxury we get now with this new ownership. Like, this is amazing. Uh, I, I like, I, yeah, if I could ever go back in time, that is the year. Like, and for me, like, that was the year I did my MBA, and I was so busy that. I didn't know what was up or down and like I'd show up to games so tired I felt like I could puke but then you just go into autopilot because you played hockey for so long that it, you, you could just do it right like I'd be so tired and then there'd be nights where you guys would we'd play we'd win and it would be like a Saturday night and I'd have to go home and write papers because I had two kids and I had to get the stuff done before it was due and my goodness but like for that to be my most fun year of hockey is i i don't know it just was a special group of people because you're right every time you showed up to the rink you didn't know what was going to happen i remember deese the equipment manager every time an away team was about to show up he would go into the away locker room and leave a huge dump in their toilet. Yeah, well, it doesn't even, I think the best one of that was, and this wasn't Deese doing it, was actually when uh, Belfast rolled into town one day, one day and Taff, their uh, equipment manager, came and knocked on the door and he said, hey, have you seen Deese? I was like, uh, he's around here somewhere. Why? What do you need? He's like, Oh, I just was wondering if he could get someone from the rink to come and pull this dead rat out of the toilet. And like, we hadn't put the dead rat in there. It crawled in and drowned itself, but that was the kind of place it was. And it was like, ah, oh, no, not another one. And then like, this thing was the size of a small cat. Like it wasn't just a normal sized rat. You couldn't just flush it down. 
Like you, you had to get like the forceps and dig that puppy out. Oh man, like that that arena was literally it was, the stories that place could tell. I tell you, like oh man, like when I got into the pregame speaking there, and I uh, would hide in the closet and come out and surprise you guys and do a pregame speech, like. All those stories, man, like what a place, what a year, what a group of guys. <laughs> yeah, and I owe a lot to that arena because, I mean, you know, as we both know, I wasn't the most skilled guy in the league and it was very much more of a headless chicken run around, hit whoever moves and bring energy where I could. So it was a lot easier for me in a rink that was half the size of a normal one because I only had to take two or three strides and guys didn't have uh, long enough to get out of the way when I came steaming at them. So, you know, I owe that rink a lot because it probably significantly helped my career in the process. Okay, I'll, I'll say one thing. You definitely didn't skate around like a headless chicken. What you skated around with was like, my brain is way bigger than yours. And you were skating around like, holy moly, I got too much knowledge in this brain. And you're skating around and you're like, man, this head is heavy because I got too much knowledge in here. Um, anyways, that's what you were actually skating around like because you're just too smart. You just were, I could see it the way you were skating around. You just got too much up there. But uh, <laughs> um, about that arena, like when I played there, it was exactly what I needed because my knee was hurt and I couldn't get around the ice the way I used to be able to. It reminded me a lot of my childhood growing up in Elmira, the little arena we had before they built a new one. Like it was a tiny little arena and you, you had to know where to be, where the puck was going to go. You didn't have to skate fast and you didn't have to you didn't have to, it wasn't like skating on the big ice where you're buzzing around all the time and you got to skate so gosh darn far. Like I hated playing on the big ice. When I saw the big blue tent and it was like the size of my backyard rink here, I was so happy because that meant I didn't have to skate anymore. <laughs> you just had to find your way to the slot Wally and then uh, someone would put it on your tape and you'd do the rest, you know, bring it home from there. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Hey, whatever. Yeah, I just, I, I, I'm not much of a four checker, I guess you could say. Um, so anyways, where should we go from here? I think what we should talk about is um, since you're, you know, we've talked about how big your brain is, how much knowledge you have and you're curing cancer. I think we should talk about the other side of you. When you go on ski trips um, with me without skis, could you please um, explain how we went on a skiing trip with no intentions of skiing? Well, we had this um, we had this uh, trip planned at the end of the season. So we we would as a team. Actually, it was something that started that year, um, the uh, 2015 year or whatever it was. After the the first season, it was the decision was made. Well, let's let's all go on a trip together as a group of guys. Um, and I think that first year before you didn't come on the first trip actually, and then this, the the following year we did another ski trip, and um, you know some of the, the the higher mountains are still open at that time of year after the season's finished, and 
we would just go out and, you know, guys who just have had a hard, long slog of the season, you know, been playing it sensible and working hard on the ice, they just need to blow off some steam for a, a few days, right, at the end of the season. And, um, yeah, I had already, I remember the boys, I think Joey Martin and uh, Huddy had organized this trip, and um, the uh, I had already organized to go on one of my, my other buddies outside of hockey's uh, stag dudes in Estonia, so what it was was meant to be his stag do was meant to be three days long and then the ski trip i think was meant to be four days long and with you guys and then i decided right well what i'll do is i'll cut the i'll cut the estonia trip short by a day and so i can do two two and a half days with the boys and then i'll fly from estonia to france and then i just missed the first day with you guys and i get the final three with you guys so obviously I wasn't going to take skiing stuff with me to Estonia to then carry over to France. So you'd already said, I mean, that was the year you blew your knee out for a second time. So you hadn't skated in like six months. So there was no way in hell you were ever going to ski. So I thought, well, I wouldn't take skis because at least I got someone to hang out with who else who's not going to ski too. And um, I remember getting, I, well, I didn't get up actually. I, I just went out on the, I think it was the Saturday night. Um, with the boys we went out until like i don't know three or four in the morning and i had to leave at five to get the flight from estonia um through uh, amsterdam then from amsterdam down to geneva and then take a bus from geneva to the mountains and i remember um i remember just going through the night drinking the night before and just going home pack my bag straight back to the airport onto the plane I caught my connection by like 10 seconds, like running through Schiphol Airport because the first flight was delayed. Got to Geneva, jumped on the bus, got to the chalet, and I think I passed out on the ground. I called you and you were like, oh, I'm up the top of the mountain. I'll come let you into the chalet now because the rest of the boys were skiing. And uh, then you showed up, limping your way down the street. And um, I think that day we spent the rest of the, like I, I just dumped my bag in our room and then the, I spent the rest of the day in the hot tub with you, didn't I? We just <laughs> sat in the hot tub and drank about eight balls of wine. <laughs> well, that, yeah, we don't know the over under of how many we drank, but um, we definitely were in the hot tub all day. Um, <laughs> um, I actually think that was one of my most memorable trips I've ever had. Um, uh, so yeah, the the that first night before you got there, <laughs> it was an overcast day, and we show up um, at the ski hill, and I don't um, like really know where we're at. Like I know we're in where were we? Morzine. What's it called? Morzine, yeah. Yeah, Morzine, France. Morzine. And it was an overcast day. So you actually couldn't see how big the mountains were. You couldn't see how high they went. You couldn't see where they went because of the clouds. So I hung out at the chalet cause I had no, I couldn't ski cause of my knee. Like I, I, there was no way I could, I was just told I was done hockey forever. And, uh, the first night, uh, Carl Hudson, um, one of the most interesting people I've ever met, which needs to come on this podcast. Um, but, um, he had played there, so he had set up um, a dinner on the ski hill, like a third of the way down. Um, so 
the guys say to me, like, I understand you can't ski, but like, you can't miss the night. Like, this is what we're doing for the night. We are going to this chalet a third of the way down the mountain and you need to figure out a way to be there. And I was like, okay. So that, that day, you know, um, I was, you know, is the end of year trip. So I wasn't feeling well, but all the other guys had gone skiing and I'm sitting at the chalet and guys would come back to take a break and I'd have a beer with them or whatever and hang out with them while they took their break from skiing. And then it's the end of the night and they're like, okay, have you figured out how to get to that restaurant? And I said, yeah, like, there's a red saucer right there, like at the chalet, there's a little red saucer on the balcony. I'm going to take that up the gondola and I'll use that and I'll, I'll get to the restaurant. So I went up there, we get to the top of the mountain. I'm with Mike Will, who also needs to come on the podcast because now he has like a hundred thousand followers for taking pictures. So that guy, me, him, and someone else, we were up at the top of the mountain and it says the, the ski hill's closed because the groomers are out. And they're like, well, we have to go down there. That's where everybody is. That's where the restaurant is. And I get on my little red saucer and I go through the line that says the ski hill's closed and I buzz down there on my little red saucer and I get to this restaurant and we have a fantastic night, like a fantastic night. And this was the night before you got there. So then these owners know Carl and they've set this all up and he's going to have to come on to tell this story. But basically these owners at the end of the night, it's like, I don't know what time, two in the morning, we, we, come out of this place we've been drinking moonshine everything else having just a hoot dinner everything we still have to get down two-thirds of that mountain and i didn't know how high up we were because i had never seen how high up we were because of the clouds so i didn't even realize like what we were doing and there was two french guys there that carl knew that he had played with and they knew the mountain but these owners of the the restaurant they had their snowmobiles and they got their lights out so then we got about 12 to 15 guys that were all on the ski trip and the, the french guys and where you got to still get down the mountain in the middle of the night and um i got my bad knee i can't ski i got my little red saucer and I held on to the French guy's pole, like not in a bad way. I held on to his um, skiing pole, like not his pole. I hold on, held on to his skiing pole. Uh, so on the way down, I'm holding on to his pole while he skis down because he's like a pro skier and I'm on a little red saucer and he's holding on to me so I literally don't fall off a cliff and die. And then I saw what I had done the next day when you got there, there was no clouds, <laughs> man. <laughs> like not that I realized why it took me an hour and a half to get down the hill, <laughs> but man, why well, you think it would be quicker how steep the slope was. Well, I, I, I just, I, I, it's one of the stories I've told my kids about that. Like it was, the most ridiculous thing I've ever 
done because I didn't realize how high it went because of the clouds. I, I didn't know how high it went. But then when I had already done it, and then the next day we went up there, um, I think we were uh, dressed in outfits, were we not? But anyways, um, yeah. That was, that, was the sec that, was the sec that was the second day. That was the day after I arrived that we went up. We got dressed up because we wanted to do something different. Well, why don't you tell the crowd about that one then since, uh, you know, you've cured cancer. Why don't you we, tell them about we, the other we, side of you when you went up to the top of the mountain with me? Well, we, we, we spent that first day, didn't we? we? We were in the hot tub all day whilst the boys were skiing. They skied until, and then I guess they stopped at a bar on their way down. They didn't get back to us till like sort of six, five, six o'clock in the evening. And we were like prunes at that point because we just sat in the hot tub with the most glorious view over the Alps. And then, um, so we were all boozed up and then they'd, they'd had a, I mean, they'd had a few, but they'd been skiing it off as they went. We went out into town, if I remember right, that night. And then um, we, uh, the next day we woke up and they all went off skiing again. And we were like, well, what should we do with our, our day? And you said to me, I think the first thing you said was, oh, you should see what it looks like up top. It's beautiful. I was like, all right, let's go up top. So we take the gondola up to the top of the mountain. And I was like, ah, it's a little bit boring just going up to the top and drinking. We've got to do something here to get the boys going a little bit. <laughs> so we had, I had a, um, I had a morph suit that I'd taken with me because of the other stag do in Estonia which I had on me, and you, for some reason, I don't even know why you had one, but you had your Spider-Man morph suit with you, and Hendo had his Venom morph suit, and we went up to the top of the mountain, and uh, the boys were sitting there having some beers and stuff, and we rocked right up to them. They didn't even know who the hell we were at first, and then we just hung out with any and all strangers for the entire day who would talk to us. We just was guzzling some red wine and telling stories and each time that we would be sat there with a group of people a couple more would sit down and then two more would leave and we just kept this constant stream of of new uh new friends but for, for like it must have been like six hours we sat there just chatting shit with anyone who would listen and then uh we it got to the point where we were like all right well we should probably head back down and this is funny because it was the one time only in my life that I've ever been clapped off of, a, off of a bus because I think we were on fire on the bus just chirping guys and giving giving everyone shit and everybody and we was just having a great time with it and then yeah I remember that <laughs> I, I totally remember when we got off the bus the whole bus was cheering for us <laughs> <laughs> right, everybody's getting sent back to wherever they're staying with their skis, and they've they've all been skiing all day, and we're in our outfits <laughs> and our morph suits or whatever you call them, and uh, and we're on the bus and just having a hoot, and then yeah, we we did get cheered off the bus, didn't we? <laughs> That was the first ever time and probably the last I'll ever experience that, but uh, that was a great day too. And then that's when we went down to the bottom of the mountain then after I met the rest of the boys because we were actually late getting down. They'd already been down, got changed and headed down to the town to get uh, started on drinking. And we met them at the ridiculous bar at the bottom, which was like um, absolutely rammed. So we had to sneak around the backside and hop over a fence to get into the bar in the first place. And Lorda was making us all shotgun our beers, which were like piss warm and horrible. 
And then we had meeting all day. And so you decided to let yourself into a wedding party who had a full buffet spread going. And you just loaded up your pockets with all of the ham and like the crackers and stuff. And you came out and I just remember you pulling these long strings of like Parma ham from your pocket and feeding them to me like a, like a, like a wild animal out of your head. <laughs> you were like a, you were like a little and, baby bird. <laughs> but uh, and then that's when we the same night. I think we then moved on to another bar where Steve George took over the microphone, and we were dancing on the tables and just shut the, that bar down. Uh, and we went back to that bar the second day, uh, the third day, and we walked in. And I remember the owner saying to us, "He's like, you guys are still going." <laughs> Uh, ah, dear. Yeah, no, that was uh, a heck of a retirement gift um, that the wife let me come on the trip with the guys. Because um, in Germany, it, the same thing would happen. Like, basically, at the end of the season, all every, and basically, it was anybody who was single would go on a trip. Like, whoever was single or wanted to go, there was a trip where all the guys went. Well, I never really went on those trips in Germany, and I never went the whole time. But some of the stories and the things you'd hear were, were hilarious. But then I, my last year, that was my retirement gift, was that I got to go with you beauties and, uh, and see what it was all about. And I tell you, it was that red saucer ride down the mountain, the the hot tub with you the next day and then going up to the top of the mountain and like now that I'm grown up and I got a real job and I got to be serious all the time like those are the days you just never get back like that was so much fun just just living man just just we were just doing whatever we could to get the boys to laugh we were just doing it for the boys we like there was not we weren't thinking about anything else we weren't thinking about how anybody else was perceiving us and you're right like we're getting cheered off the bus like that means you're you're living a fun life <laughs> yeah there was and that was one of my favorite trips that we did i mean we did i think i did four or five with the boys in the end we did the uh, first one to austria second one to france we went to Magaluf for one, and then we went to Portugal for another. Um, I think that was the last one. Um, and then there was plans for one last year, but then we never really got uh, a chance to do that because of the corona, obviously. But um, yeah, those trips are always uh, classic. They were the, the best, yeah. Okay, well, so my, actually my wife brought this up, Lisa brought this up, she wants me to ask you. Because um, you're in the game, you're in the know with this virus thing. She wants to know if she should be vaccinating the children and herself and me. Um, I personally am like, well, whatever. Like, if they tell me to do it, I'll do it. But, like, you tell me because your brain's bigger than me and you've been trying to skate around with that big thing up there all these years. So you tell me what we're supposed to do. I, I mean, you'll get the simplest answer you'll ever hear from me, which is that you should vaccinate whenever possible. There is absolutely no cause for concern as far as I'm concerned for the vaccines. I don't know why anybody would, would resist getting it. I don't know. 
it's beyond me that anybody would ever think that, you know, uh, Bill Gates is interested in controlling people. It's just, it's completely incorrect. There's no possible way that just because the word has nanotechnology written in it or nanoparticles means that there's got to be some sort of computer chip in there. It doesn't, it's completely benign in that sense. And why people think, you know, um, Bill Gates would want to control Margaret Keenan 90 from Coventry. I, 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 what the hell would he do with it? You know, so like, it, yes, vaccinate your kids and vaccinate yourselves. And there's no reason to not do it. And as soon as it's available for me to get it, I'd be first in line. Well, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, okay. I think um, we've covered a lot of stuff. And I realistically, this is the first one. So I want a reason to bring you back on because we have more stories to tell and there's going to be more things happen. But what I, the last thing I want to know is how are you and the gal enjoying Switzerland and what is it like living there? Because I see the pictures and I see where you're living and then you put up the picture on Instagram of like, look at the office view. And I'm like, well, don't show me that. Like I, you know, I, I you know, I want to see it, but I don't want to see it because it's like, man, Switzerland's beautiful. Like it really is. I remember playing a preseason game in, was it Lugano? And I saw palm trees in Switzerland. And I was like, what the hell is this? And then we played a hockey team that just dismantled us like seven, nothing. Like they just bent us over the table and just had at us. They were spanking our behinds and we were enjoying it. And the crowd at one point was chanting, what league do you play in? And then they had palm trees and they were all making like half a million a year to play there. So like, what is it like living in Switzerland? Because I always tried to get there. That was always my goal as a hockey player. I was trying to get to Switzerland, which I think a lot of guys are. Yeah, I mean, as a place to live, I can't think of many places that are better. I, I can't, you know, explain how lucky I feel to have been given the opportunity um, to do what I do in a place like this. And you said it yourself, like, you know, my office is great. I have literally, I'm halfway up the hill just by, um, in the middle of Lausanne and I, my, my office overlooks Lake Geneva in its entirety and some of the sunsets and some of the weather storms and the, everything else that rolls through. It's just, the views are amazing. And then I get to live right down the road with exactly the same, you know, setup. I have a really nice place with a great view right on the lake and, um, the quality of life here is, is just like nothing else. And we get to go skiing every other weekend because we're an hour from about, I don't know, 15 different mountains and uh, with ski resorts. And, you know, you extend that to two hours, you add another 15 mountains into the mix. And, you know, there's just never ending stuff to do. And um, the place is great. It's super safe. It's super nice. It's super welcoming. It's deathly expensive expensive to live but that's okay because that's compensated for through your salary but um the quality of life is like nothing i would have experienced i had to recently go back to the uk over christmas time and i 
couldn't wait to get out of there. I mean, as soon as I got to the gate flying back to the UK and some of the, uh, the people I came across, I was like, oh, what am I doing? But um, yeah, it's it's been great. And I, um, I, I miss a lot of elements of the UK. Of course I do, I miss all my friends. I miss everything that's related to the Cardiff Devils every day. Um, and that aspect of my life, I, that time in my life will never be replaced. But, you know, the, there's new things that I'm trying to, to, to plug that hole with. And whilst I, I'm not, I haven't got to the point of being able to, you know, make the relationships that I had back in Cardiff because of the virus, um, a lot of the activities and just staying healthy in general is, is not proving too challenging. But uh, I do miss the community feel. But um, hopefully that'll come with time when this virus uh, gets out of the way. Um, yeah, I, I, man, I had so many things, but while you were talking, I was like, oh, I could talk about this, this, that. Um, I, yeah, I like, I'm proud of you for what you're doing. Um, I know <laughs> that your passion is hockey and, um, but you're talented at curing cancer. Um, I get that. Um, that's why I started this podcast is because, um, my passion is this, is talking to you guys, talking to beauties, having a couple of beers and, uh, <laughs> like, like not the beers, but like just talking to my friends. And like, I think it's great for everybody that when you get older, that we document this stuff because I think we've lived pretty interesting lives and I've never even really talked about it. I don't even know where any of the pictures are of all the stuff Lisa and I have done. Um, I think uh, seeing a guy like you, like I, that's what all this is about is when I, I've met people like you and I'm like, holy shit, like nobody knows about any of these people and like there's there's so many people that I could interview that I'm like people would find this interesting because you're interesting you know and it's 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 just I don't know I'm I'm very excited that you came on I'm very honored that you were my first episode and I won't lie to you I can't wait for round two you know, because <laughs> I can't wait to call you again and have a couple more. We, uh, well, we, we barely scratched the surface with some of this stuff, you know, like we, we, we touched upon a few things. We didn't even get to you coming back to Cardiff for your little uh, celebration. <laughs> we didn't get to half of the stories of even other trips that we took to other, to some of our teammates' weddings where we had a blast and, um, you know, a bunch of other stuff on just in general road trips that we did. It's one of those things you, you could, you could legit write a book about this stuff. And, uh, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to make it a sort of a, a minimum age requirement associated with it, but you could write a really good book about it and no, people would find it hilarious. There's reasons why guys like this get paid so much money to just tell their stories. Cause this is, this is happening all over the place, you know? Well, exactly. And like, I know, you know, Biz, and I think he was supposed to play um, when I was there. I th we like even announced it on the Jumbotron, like, B 
Biz is playing next weekend. Um, he's coming. And then he never came. And so I've never met him. I don't know him. I played against him in the coast. But I, you know what I did do? <laughs> Pressure's on, Biz. I sent him a message. I wrote to him on Instagram. And I said, dude, I'm starting this thing. I played against you in the East Coast. I know all these guys. Do you think you could help me get legit here? And we'll see what happens. But uh, it'd be cool if he would come on and tell his story just like this. He could talk about you and what you were doing. While yeah. You were there. I, I, rem I heard that he was passed out, like, outside of an apartment and missed the bus or something, right, before one of his first games? Or is that not right? Well, when it was his first day um, arriving. But uh, yeah, I, I promised him I'd save these stories for when I go on spitting chiclets with him. Because actually, when he came, when he came to play, I was his uh, road roomie um, when uh, when we stayed in hotels. And um, yeah, it, it, he was he was a great guy. I love Biz. He's hilarious. I still talk to him from time to time. He'll shoot me a message here and there, and he says he'd get a comment on the podcast asking what I'm up to. So then he'll shoot me a message and say we still need to figure out a time for you to come on and have a chat. So we'll make that happen at some point, I think. And uh, I'll, I'll do my best to give you a little plug on there as well. <laughs> uh, that's all right. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm just doing this for my own uh, mental health. Because uh, I won't lie to you. I haven't been this excited to start something in a really long time. Like, I have a reason to call all of my buddies and have a beer with them now. And, like look at this like we we wouldn't have been talking right now if i wouldn't have decided to do this we this wouldn't be happening right now and it just warms my heart to talk to all my old buddies all over the place <laughs> well you know i don't know if it wouldn't have happened every now and then if lisa went out and uh the kids were you know just running around being idiots and you were <laughs> sat there bored you'd, you'd give me a ring with a bottle of red and be like hey pegs what are you doing i'd be like what are you doing he's like i'm big Colby, don't body slam your sister <laughs> and then oh. we'd shoot the shit for another hour or so after that okay so i was gonna save this for Zo it doesn't surprise me one bit that uh, zoe's i mean thankfully she got her mother's looks instead of yours but other than that that's uh the the wally traits aren't that bad you know but uh it does remind me of a few that's something else we didn't even touch upon with some of the stuff i had to do as as sort of makeshift doctor for the team at times as well because that takes me back to a story where i ended up essentially having to wipe one of the guy's asses too so we can cover that in the next podcast if you want as well Sorry, you. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I could. Okay, you wiped the guy's ass. Well, it was a little bit more complex than that. They, uh, it's disgusting. But just think, hemorrhoids and a ruptured hemorrhoid on the ass, and somebody basically not being able to play unless it was it was dealt with in the proper way to be kept clean <laughs> so there was a there was a couple of procedures which had to take place that uh, in, at the time we didn't have a doctor there so i had to do it um i don't know what i i don't even know what to say about that um <laughs> um 
I think um, I think we should uh, say that's enough for one episode, and we're gonna cut bring pigs back on to discuss um, what he did with the hemorrhoids. Um, what do you think, pigs? Uh, amongst other stuff. <laughs> amongst other stuff, we can talk about some of the other doctor stuff I had to do, um, which which is always entertaining. Which is always, um, if you think about it. It's, sort of atypical for lower league, you know, four-letter league um, type activities. Uh, so we could get into some of that on the next podcast of some of the extra extracurriculars that I had to do as part of the team. <laughs> uh, well, I, I won't lie to you, man. There, there are so many stories to be told. And I'm like, that's what um, I guess gets my juices flowing right now is like literally <clears> – <throat> I don't do anything anymore. I, I, you know, with the virus and the lockdown, like I don't even do anything, but like I get to look forward to talking to guys like you every week and hearing this stuff. And it brings me back to a time, you know, where there wasn't a virus there, there, there wasn't so much negativity and Wally was Wally. Like, now I I work a real job and I'm for the most part I'm I try to be a bit of Wally but there's a lot of Brent in there you know and uh, nobody likes Brent people like Wally way more um, so I think this is bringing back some of the Wally and uh, I am so thankful that you agreed to come on and be the first ever episode. Um, I don't think there's anybody else in the world that has a cooler hockey story. Um, the only thing we didn't cover before we say goodbye is you never even said how you f- cured cancer and how you saved the mice. Like, what what are we doing here? You got to tell the people about the mice and the, the, the tits and the, the boobies. Yeah. Well, it was, it was the... the the press or the media and everyone seems to have this, uh, they tend to over-exaggerate new scientific discoveries and where they sort of suggest that you've cured the disease and it's a long way from that. And um, what I what I did find in my research was a potential treatment that could, uh, or a combination treatment that could um, lead to long-term survival benefit for patients. And, you know, we... I was looking specifically at something called cancer stem cells that we believe are responsible for these, uh, you know, disease relapse and disease and uh, drug resistance. And um, whilst it worked great, I did it by genetically modifying the tumor cells, which is something which is a little bit too advanced still for us to put into practice in patients right now. So it needed to be translated into a drug. And even at that point, now we've got a, a few drugs that do it, you know, you need to get those through a series of clinical trials, which takes typically um, 15 to 20 years. So the long way off from ever being anything that's actually gonna be given to a patient, unfortunately, but that's exactly where I work now is, is in that space of getting these new discoveries put into patients so that they can realize their full potential. And that's what my new job is all about is really just making those scientific discoveries into real treatments for patients. So, okay, last question. You know, I I know I need the coals 
notes version of this, but um, genetically modified. That is basically saying that you're taking a healthy thing and then cloning it to make it another healthy thing instead of it not being healthy. Am I crazy or not? Uh, in a way, you've got it a little bit backwards because the things that I'm modifying are the tumor cells. So they're not healthy in, in that sense. But what I'm doing is altering the genetics of the tumor cells so that they would then die is essentially what I did um, on a basic level was I altered the tumor cell genetics to show how important targeting a specific thing within the tumor cells would be for them to be able to survive and it killed them all off basically. <sighs> I so okay so I was close I just backwards so you're basically saying you went far off so basically you're saying you got them all to fight each other instead of um what I was saying where you were trying to make them all get along and all be healthy yeah you could think of it as uh I turned them into a instead of a, a hendo in a in a fight I turned them into a Brent Walton into a fight instead so that they could be knocked down way easier what do you mean I was a fantastic fighter <laughs> look at these hands these things are knockout artists <laughs> like seriously like look at what that thing could do to you I mean you, I think it was like Owen I think you were like Owen 2 in the time we played together no I I though actually the yeah I I know we got to end this because my mother told me she said people don't want to listen for too long you got to shut it down and I said okay <laughs> um, but um, the fighting um, I told Lisa like guys I didn't mind fighting like I I have no problem with getting being beaten up I really don't have an issue with it because I, I I'm not a good fighter I I'm better without skates on um, but I told Lisa I'd been in Germany for however long six years and then we go to Denmark and nobody's fighting nothing's happening nobody fights people fight with their gloves on and it's embarrassing and then we finally go to the we go to the UK at the end and people are fighting again like there's fights happening all the time. We got Hendo, we got Batchy, we got like the list goes on. There was a lot of fighters on our team, and everybody's fighting. And I said to Lisa, I said, I gotta get in one more fight before this is over. Like I gotta test myself and give, give her a whirl here. I gotta see what happens. And she goes, Well, if you gotta do that then just don't do it while Colby's there, like our son. She goes, I don't want him to see you get beat up. And I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> whatever. Like, I might win, you know. Like, I would. my, my goal was always to like, <laughs> skate forwards, skate forwards and put my head in their armpit and then just swing up. I would just keep skating forwards with my head in your armpit and swing up because then like what are you gonna do if you're skating forwards like you can't get beat up if you're skating forwards right like you gotta skate at the guy so anyways i had a system down but then carl hudson right <laughs> do you remember that he's cutting across he's going over the blue line and that douchebag what noble 
comes across and literally lays on his knees and like completely takes Carl out, who is one of my best friends, absolute beauty that needs to come on here, Carl. Um, He does a complete flip in the air and it's like, I was like, well, you can't do that to Carl. Like, and I'm right here. And I was literally behind him waiting for the drop pass and he does the full flip and the, his legs and everything go crazy. And like, he, I think he might be dead. And then there's the guy, right? And I decide to fight him. I'm like, well, you can't do that to Carl. And I fight him and I, I, I would say I hung in there. I don't think I won the fight i definitely didn't win the fight but i didn't lose as badly as i've lost before um but i think that's what wins championships right like that's what brings a team together is like if the the little guy that scores goals will fight like that's what's that that's what wins championships but anyways like that's what that whole team was in cardiff was we were just a bunch of guys that would do anything for each other like we really were like realistically i call you and i say i'm starting a podcast and i want you to be the first episode you didn't say maybe you didn't say like any you said i'll be there what time when do you need me and that's what that team was, and that's why we won, and that's why teams win, is people that will help each other and people that will do anything for each other. Like, we were a family that year, and that is what I miss, and that's what I miss in my life. And now I work a normal job, and I got guys that are working for me, and, you know, I try to be their friend and their boss, but, like, when you break it all down, back when we were being beauties, like there's nothing better than that. No, it was that same incident. It was Marty with the water bottle, wasn't it? He oh. pelted him right in the face afterwards, I think, because he was walking to the dressing room. He really got him with a good one. But that, yeah, and it, that was uh, that was that was exactly what that team was all about. Every guy would always stand up for each other and. I remember being on the fourth line a couple of times. I got dragged into a few scuffles, which ended up getting me punched in the head too. But like, that's just part of that that team that year. But um, yeah, there was a great group of guys, and I don't think uh, I don't think that'll ever be replicated. I mean, you, this is what I mean. You could write a whole you could write a whole book just about that one year. No matter the second year that you came back and blew your knee out, and then we had a bunch of other stories from that year too. If you hide yeah. in bathrooms whilst we were all getting ready and and then the comeback and all of these other stuff like we we, we, need, we really need this to be like a four-part of discussion even just for my stories with you that's not even including people like Carl and Hendo and Marty and all of these guys and that's what's absolutely ridiculous about that one year of hockey is that it can spawn this much love and brotherhood and um yeah i i hadn't been around a team like that year in so long and when i was playing in denmark germany you know there'd be the team emails that come out from the coach or whatever and they would say like do this workout do that we'll see you 
this day at this time and then i signed in cardiff and i got put on the team email list <laughs> and the emails going back and forth between the guys were were so incredible that i was so excited to get to cardiff I had never played there. I had never met any of the guys, but I just saw this email string of hilarious emails of, I'm like, these guys are hockey players. Like these guys are beauties. This is what I need in my life. And I got there and you guys were exactly what I wanted. But the weird part was when you were sending those ridiculous emails, it would say at the end of this ridiculous hockey email that was hilarious, it would say cancer research, blah, 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 on your signature at the end of the email. And I was like, who am I going to play hockey with? Yeah, that would have been a, I, uh, from my, from my work email address and send in those at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would have uh, confused you a little bit. I can see that. Oh, I, I, but I couldn't wait because the, the, the humor in the emails was exactly what I needed in my life at that time. I had been on a team that was, they were serious. They were all serious. They were all into it. They were all, you know there was no personality on the lot the team before there was just you know they were just pros and when we got to cardiff with that group of guys i'm telling you the substance the people the characters that were on that team like now starting a podcast and thinking about it I'm like, well, I don't want it to just be about Cardiff. I want it to be about all the, these different people and all these different journeys. That team had about eight people to 10 people that I'm like, these are real stories that people need to hear. They're incredible people, you know, Dougie, Carl, Hendo, you know, Matthew Myers, who's won every trophy in the UK, Ben Bounds said he'll come on and don't even get me started on the goat i mean i spray painted myself as him you know <laughs> so like it's incredible like all the different stories we could tell well, you, you had a little help with the spray paint that was well, yeah. that, that, i seem to think there was another artist involved there <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, yeah i guess we'll save that for the next podcast eh? because i guess we're probably running behind and my family's <laughs> at a bush party they want me to come to the bush party and cook hot dogs in the bush do you know what that is do you know what a bush party is you grew up in canada or you until just going to sit in the bush and and make a fire or what kind of i think you shoot animals too if they're around I don't know, um, but there's, ah, okay. they got a fire going, they got hot dogs, um, so I'm going to head over there and uh, make sure everybody's okay, um, but man, thank you so much, like I honestly, I can't thank you enough, because realistically, I mean, I think this is a cool conversation, <laughs> I mean, if people want to hear it, they'll hear it if they don't want to they won't that's fine i don't care if anybody listens to this because this is for my own mental health like i miss all you guys i miss you and i have no reason to call you 
until I started this. But yet you did still sometimes. Sometimes you still did. And we can we can do we can make it like a four or five part, or we'll do some more. We definitely have to co cover the uh, the comeback story because um, that was there's a few funny stories in there for sure. <laughs> we didn't right. even cover like after the Challenge Cup win or any of that stuff either. Well, like, that's what I mean. Like, stuff. there's so many stories. Like, where do you even begin, right? Like, it's there's there, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stories to cover. Uh, but I, like I, I just can't thank you enough. Um, I think we should sign off now because everybody, if anybody ever listens to this, who effing knows, right? If anybody listens to this, they'll be like, well, you got to get the pig man back on. Like, you got to start talking about the apres ski parties, you know? Like, we got to hear about those. Yeah. Um, I, your story from the year before I went on the guy's trip was incredible too. Um, you know, there's so many stories in the hockey world that, uh, that people don't know because they didn't play in the NHL. I didn't play in the NHL. Um, never had the body type for it. Um, so, um, I think just because we never played in the NHL doesn't mean that our stories aren't NHL caliber, you know, that's, that's my whole opinion. I, I think the stories I have in my vault of the things I've heard from my buddies, I, the, they're better than the guys in the NHL because they're all robots and they're all so worried that like somebody might smell their fart or something, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we have the NHL of stories. They look up to us in that regard. That's for sure. There's no doubt that anybody has stories like ours. Like, they're, like, yeah. So, thank you, Piglet. Um, we're going to sign off now. And uh, this is episode one of um, Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. And I uh, hope everyone enjoys. <laughs> Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott, I'm trying to go.